Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? All right. Well, this is your time. I've certainly got some, uh, some questions tucked away in my pocket from uh, all of the dialogue between sessions and at our resource table. And so if needed, uh, we can certainly uh, fill in the time. But I want to make sure we have plenty of time uh, for you guys to ask questions. Um, I know not everybody has been here all weekend, but uh, this is actually our sixth session. And the first five uh, sessions are already posted, both the video and, if you wanted, just the audio podcast are posted at notbyworks.org. So if you missed some of them, go back and check those out to get the context and kind of set the stage for what we're talking about. And then our final session will be my morning message during the worship hour where we're going to talk about how to avoid being deception, how to recognize it, how to avoid it, and what Satan's MO is. Uh, but for... Uh, this morning, we're going to dedicate this uh, time to uh, question and answer. And our target end time, uh, Jeremy, is what, 945? Is that our plan? Okay. So uh, just quickly mention again, the book is out at the table. Those of you live streaming, we had over 600, almost 700 live streamers yesterday. So that's fantastic. Um, if you're watching us uh, online, you can get the book at spiritoftheantichrist.org. Uh, also, at that link, you can read the preface, the entire preface to the book, and see the table of contents. So, if you know someone that uh, you think might be interested, you can send them that link, spiritoftheantichrist.org, and they can kind of play around, see if the topics are things that uh, might interest them. And, of course, don't forget we have the DVD or streaming set. Uh, either one, you can either purchase the streaming code or you can get the physical DVDs uh, of the same material. The book is much more comprehensive and it just came out March 21st, but the videos are also pretty uh, uh, you know, comprehensive as well uh, covering that material. Uh, so the premise, of course, is that the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work uh, in the world. And uh, we've kind of laid that foundation scripturally for the Luciferian conspiracy, which is Satan, his demons, and human counterparts working together to try to usher in the biblically prophesied one world system uh, that will certainly be ruled by the Antichrist for at least seven years, but it could already be in place long before the rapture if the Lord uh, tarries his coming. So any other uh, questions? I'll open the floor now. Um, I've got some slides up here if they're... Um, you know, relevant or helpful in answering the questions, I'll maybe call them up. But does anybody have a question this morning? Yes. Yeah, so thank you for your service, first of all, and uh, the question is about Agent Orange, and in the book we have a whole section on uh, would the government ever harm its own citizens, and I give quite a few examples, many of them involving military experiments. So uh, what I believe with Agent Orange, as with many others, again, as I detail in the book, these were examples where those in power, and they do control the military, were experimenting without any uh, conscience whatsoever on our own. And uh, so uh, it's, it's terrible, it's sad, but it's, it's well documented that they've done this. And not just uh, our 
men and women in service, but also just common citizens. Uh, I tell several examples in there of down in Georgia and Alabama and other places where they just people were killed by the thousands and just you know flippantly doing these experiments on them. So, yeah, that's a tragedy, um, and it's uh, I don't know the specific uh, fallout from Agent Orange whether we ever. Um, admitted it so many of the times the government does eventually admit it and pay reparations and you know again it's their model is to deny 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 and then eventually they admit it and say of course we did it and we've been saying we did it all along which of course they haven't so I don't know what the outcome of that was but yeah I wouldn't say it was a direct you know Luciferian depopulation technique but it was certainly uh, you know an experiment that uh, harmed a lot of people somebody else how is it Luciferians and such do not understand that they are evil? <laughs> How, why do Luciferians not understand they're evil? Uh, deceived. I mean, uh, they're, they're, they're self-deceived. And uh, Satan, same reason Satan believes he's the good guy and he's going to win. I mean, he knows what God's Word says, but he just doesn't believe it. And so he's deceived. And remember, 2 Timothy 3.13 says that deception will grow worse and worse. Specifically, he says, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That means it's easier to be deceived today than it was yesterday. It's also easier to deceive people. So that's a pretty deadly combination there. So, yeah. Conversely, <laughs> why do you know, we as Christians and, and just people in general want to believe in good men? Yeah. So the question is, why do you know, people, particularly Christians, want to believe in the inherent goodness of, of man? That's a great question. I think a lot of that goes back to one of the biggest deceptions of all time, and that is Darwinian uh, philosophy and thought, that man is getting better and better and better, and that associated with that goodness, associated with that improvement in our intellectual capabilities and all that, is that we're getting uh, not only better and better and better in terms of our capabilities, but in terms of our moral compass. Uh, but of course, the Bible teaches just the opposite. You know, we started out uh, it made in the image of God. You know, much bigger, much stronger. You know, people talk about man. I don't know how in the world they did the pyramids. Well, I know how they did. They reached over and picked them up and placed them on top of one another. They were ten feet tall and strong as an ox. And it was, you know, in the early days of creation, before the, the corruption of sin had really crept in and started affecting our physical bodies. And that includes the mind. They call it the noetic effects of sin on the mind. Uh, people were, were much better. So the Bible teaches just the opposite. We're getting worse and worse, not better and better. But I think the, the deception of uh, Darwinian theology, and it is a religion, uh, is that, oh, you know, we're inherently good. Everyone's born good, you know, and it's, the, it's just external influences, you know, as Freud would say, that cause him or her to be bad. So somebody else. Yes. Do the Jesuits have any part of what's going on? Yes, they do. Uh, I quoted a Jesuit uh, yesterday, uh, Pedro Arupe, and then uh, in the book, uh, or no, in our series on what in the world is going on under secret societies, I talk about them as well. So yeah, they're, you know, the whole Vatican connection, with all respect to Catholics who may be listening or, or whatever, uh, you know, they need, to, they need to do the research and find out what that's really all about. Um, it's, it's nothing is as it appears. So, somebody else. So while you're, oh yes. So we know, and you made it very clear, the mainstream news is 
you. So are there any sources out there we can, that you'd recommend to get me that might be more peaceful? Yeah, so the question is, are there any sources out there that, you know, we might recommend uh, that are more reliable? Uh, not really as a whole. Like, in other words, there's no shortcut. There's no one clearinghouse where you can go and say, this has all been vetted. So what you have to do is learn to uh, find verifiable facts. So like an event that is announced is something that happens, whether it's local or global, you can usually verify whether that, you know, really happens. Now, you know, the media is notorious for literally making stuff up based on the talking points they're given from Operation Mockingbird and, and, and other agencies. Uh, so, for example, a lot of what we've been told is happening over there in the Russia-Ukraine war is simply not true. So, and unless you've been there and looked at it, you don't know if it's true either. No matter how many radio talk, talking heads you hear talk about it, they've never been there either. So uh, all these mass graves and the, you know, those kinds of things, we just don't know. We don't know what we don't know. Um, so, but some, most of the time you're able to verify an event. A, a building really did collapse or a, a fire really was started or a bank really was robbed. So then the question becomes, you know, yes, it happened, but what's really behind it? What's going on? What's the agenda? You know, it's never about what it's about. So you learn to interpret world events and geopolitical events and news items through the lens of the Great Deception. And as I said, you know, several times over the weekend, you know, even though I repeatedly say it's seldom about what it's about, or sometimes I'll say it's not about what it's about, sometimes it is. I mean, sometimes an organic thing happens, a car accident happens, and it doesn't mean they were trying to, you know, kill some politician or something. I mean, sometimes real things happen, and it's often difficult to blur what's organic and what's synthetic, but uh, you just, you know, if you start with a, a very healthy amount of skepticism and ask questions and really kind of try to connect the dots, usually you can avoid, you know, being deceived. Uh, there are good conservative sources out there that at least are going to tell you the other side of the story, um, but even those many times you, you, you have to do some interpreting. Uh, places like Harbinger's Daily, um, I've written on that site before, and uh, I'm pretty sure I agree with what I say, but um, I can't necessarily speak for everyone on there, but I think it's a pretty good organization. Epoch Times, places like that have good conservative information, but remember, there's no, there's no one source that we, other than God's Word, of course, the infallible and errant Word of God, that we can take to the bank and say, oh, there, we want to we get all of our points from them. So... Any, yes? Um, if I'm not mistaken, when he invoked personality, I think he made mention of it, but how would 9-11 play into this remake? So the question is, how would 9-11 play into this? I mentioned only in passing in the preface about 9-11 uh, because that was what led to my, you know, awakening to the world as it really exists. Um, so we could spend an entire week's long conference talking about uh, all of the uh, you know, smoking gun evidence that 9-11 is not about the official story. So the official story, just so you know, is that 19 millennials in their early 20s uh, with turbans under the direction of a wealthy dialysis patient living in a cave in Afghanistan managed using only box cutters to hold the mightiest military in the history of the world at bay for two and a half hours on a bright sunny day 
and caused three high-rise buildings, the shortest of which was 47 stories tall, to collapse at free fall speed into their own footprint after hitting two of them with planes. So, you know, I'd sooner believe in Santa Claus. Uh, but it's not just the idea. There are hundreds upon hundreds of smoking gun proof that it's not about what it's about. There were real hijackers. People really died. Buildings really did explode. Uh, but it was not about what it was about. So, uh, and so I would just encourage you to do your own research on that. Go back and watch the footage from that day and ask yourself, I mean, there are thousands of architects and engineers that have signed on saying that there, it's, a, it's physically impossible for what they say happened to have happened. Buildings don't collapse into their own free fall speed footprint with pulverized concrete because of a traumatic structural failure at the top. They might teeter and totter, and of course they don't even do that either. Only time in history that three high-rise buildings have ever collapsed due to allegedly fire, never before and never since. And they've tried to replicate, they can't do it. Um, steel can't melt uh, because of kerosene or basically jet fuel. It can't get hot enough, even in a controlled fire, let alone in an open air fire, to melt steel. It's not possible scientifically and laws of gravity were broken and all kinds of other things. So, um, yeah, I would just say, you know, do your own research on that, but that was a huge one. That was one of the many false flags, that and things like Gulf of Tonkin, like we talked about. Um, Pearl Harbor was a different kind of false flag, um, those things. Somebody else? Yeah. Uh, have there been any professional meteorologists who've weighed in on contrails and such? Yeah, there have. Uh, so there aren't con they aren't contrails, let's be clear. So, uh, yeah, condensation trails are what jet, jets used to leave behind based on just the way the engines were made uh, with the exhaust hitting the atmosphere. But they were always small, they dissipated quickly, they followed the plane, they didn't leave a you know, horizon to horizon you know, path across the top. Um, and they didn't get turned on and turned off. <laughs> you know, they were either leaving them or not. But most of the newer jets can't even leave condensation trails. But these are not condensation trails. These are solar radiation management spraying of aerosol nanoparticles like barium, strontium, aluminum, those types of things. And yes, there have been quite a few whistleblowers. That's how you know, they were able to get pictures of, of the nozzles being attached and so forth. But, but as I mentioned yesterday, meteorologists, most of them have signed a non-disclosure that they can't talk about this stuff. So you know, they're just basically reading a script like most uh, newscasters, you know, they're just reading a script. Um, used to, they would read the papers that were handed to them in the old days. Think about, you know, Dan Rather or Walter Cronkite, you know, a car crashed on I-80 next door, you know, they just have, nowadays with technology, they're reading a teleprompter and, but it's, uh, it's definitely uh, something that most of them don't talk about, you know, so. Somebody else? Yeah. Wow, do I sign my books? Yes, I'd be honored. And, and I told someone earlier, if you could call my mom and let her know that you asked me to sign, but make her, make her really proud. I told her some, I'm going to be somebody someday. No, no, I'd be glad, I'd be glad to.
So the question is, uh, in Mexico, New Mexico, there was a story recently about doing cloud seeding to help with fires. Uh, sure, it, you, you, Satan always likes to take good things and use them for evil. But yeah, we should use that to put out fires. Why don't we? Why, why are fires burning like crazy all over the place in California and Colorado and other places? We have the technology. They just, they start the fires. They're, they don't want to put them out. They're not organically started. They're, they're actually started by, on purpose for nefarious reasons. But yeah, they've been doing cloud seeding. I mentioned Operation Popeye uh, from back during the uh, Vietnam War uh, and, and going way back into the 40s, they were doing similar cloud seeding to try to create rain. It's been a, it's been a target of the Luciferians who kind of pull the strings to control the weather. Remember, we talked a lot about control this weekend. They want control and they want to, they want to be creative. They want to create things like God the Creator and they want to control the weather, natural uh, things. And uh, we talked about how in Scripture, God's the only one who can control uh, the weather ultimately, but they're trying hard to do it. So yeah, I think there's technology available that could be used to help in certain scenarios, and sometimes they do use it. Uh, again, it's not a monolithic conspiracy. It's not like everyone involved is evil. There are good people involved in you know, all branches of military and, and, and first responders and other things, and sometimes if they have the access to the capability, they'll use it for, for good, sure. So I wanna, yes. Yeah. Yeah, the, the question is about the World Health Organization. And yeah, they're certainly one of many globalist organizations like the World Economic Forum. Anything with world in the title, it's, it can be traced back to the Luciferians. And uh, so, yeah, the, you know, there's, but again, it's not monolithic, but, you know, sometimes they would issue data that, you know, disagrees with the CDC, for example, and, and other, you know, Department Health and Human Services and FDA. And so there's competing lower level agendas, but the World Health Organization is definitely kind of plugged in at the top level. So um, I want to take some other questions, but I know one question that's come up several times, and I don't know if anyone will, will ask it here, but I definitely want to address it, and that is about the biblical uh, concept of uh, preparedness. And so um, I want to just take just a second to talk about the, the fine line between presumption and preparedness. So we've already talked about how God's Word clearly gives us a biblical principle of preparedness in Proverbs 22, verse 3. So being prepared and doing things to be prepared when you see trouble coming is biblical, and to not do so is not is sinful. Okay, so doing things to be prepared doesn't mean you don't have faith. It's not they're not mutually exclusive. Remember, it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Uh, so the question really becomes, where is your trust? Uh, we can prepare and without impugning our trust in God. In, in, uh, David said in Psalm 20, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. But, you know, he had horses and he had chariots, right? He didn't just say, well, I'm just going to trust God, so we're just going to 
march out to war with no spears and no slingshots and no horses and no chariot. No, they did the normal things that you would do uh, to be uh, prepared. And so uh, I call this the preparedness continuum. Uh, you know, being prepared does not replace our trust in God. For unbelievers and some weak believers, preparedness or survivalist thinking is all based on the wrong premise. It's based on an I can do this myself attitude and I don't need God's help. Uh, but we do need God's help, desperately, especially in times such as these. And God has told us in His Word that while trusting in Him, we also need to take necessary steps uh, to be prepared. So, you know, this principle of the balance between preparedness and trust is, is um, you know, perfectly illustrated in that verse, Proverbs 22, 3. Uh, he who sees trouble coming and prepares for it is wise, right? So the preparedness continuum puts self-reliance on one end and presumption on the other. And, you know, the, the, the one extreme says, I've got this, I don't need God. Uh, so these are the ones that, you know, try to come up for, with a solution for every single contingency. You know, I've got, you know, backups for my backups, and I've got underground bunkers and oxygen tanks, and I've got, you know, every conceivable scenario. I've got, um, you know, e protection again, you know, Faraday cages for EMPs, and I've got all kinds of stuff. And then, again, nothing wrong with any of that. But you have to kind of think through your personal situation. As I said, it boils down to three things, food, water, and protection. And if you, if you can be protected from the elements and protected from you know, marauding gangs when, when all hell breaks loose on earth, then you're going you're gonna to be a step ahead. And if you've got food and if you've got uh, water. Uh, but on the other extreme, it's I don't need to do anything, right? I, you know, God's got this, right? You know, it's like the fellow that was, you know, his, in a, stuck in his house in a flood. And uh, as the wa flood waters were rising up into his yard, the police and rescuers came by and said, hey, you know, this flood's going to get worse and worse and worse. You better, you better hop on the boat. And he said, no, no, I, I, God will take care of me. And then it got a little bit higher, got into his downstairs, and they came by again and said, man, you better evacuate. You're, this isn't looking good. He said, no, no, God will protect me. Flood water comes up to the second story of his house. He climbs up on the roof to avoid the floodwaters, the helicopter comes by and says, uh, you know, you better hop on, man, you're about to die. This flood's getting worse and worse. And he says, no, no, God will save me. Well, he dies and goes to heaven. He says, God, why didn't you save me? He said, well, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. What else could I do, you know? <laughs> so God does protect us and God, you know, we can trust in God. Um, but the, the goal here in this continuum is to say, I'm trusting God, but I'm taking obvious necessary precautions. So I just wanted to point that out because sometimes we have this mistaken notion that any type of preparedness somehow means we're not trusting God. The Bible plainly teaches both. Be prepared and trust God. Okay. So other questions? I want to make sure I got that and we got plenty of time left. But yeah. Jewish calendar, the Sabbath, is 
Friday night through Saturday. Correct, yeah. So, I guess, is the, did the Roman Catholics try and deceive? No. So the question is about the, the Sabbath and uh, the departure from the Sabbath. The, the, first of all, uh, the New Testament church established Sunday as the day of worship. We see that in the book of Acts. It was the day the Lord rose from the dead and it became the, the first day of the week, became the day that we worshiped him on. So that's a historical reality. The Roman Catholic Church didn't come along for a couple centuries after that. Uh, so it wasn't the Roman Catholic Church that instituted that. Um, but also the uh, Sabbath commandment is the only one that's not repeated in the New Testament. So we're not in the, under the law today, we're in the age of grace, the church age. We will see the reinstitution of the Jewish sacrificial system and festivals and feasts. That's clearly taught in Scripture. You mentioned Revelation, but all the Old Testament prophets talk about the sacrifices in the temple. Ezekiel, for example, gives us incredible dimensions over nine chapters of all of the different aspects of the altars and things like that. So, but right now uh, we worship on the first day of the week. I don't think that's a command, by the way. I think it's just a historical uh, description. So if somebody, if some church wanted to have a Saturday night service or something, or if they were growing and needed, a, you know, nothing moral about that, but it, it is historically the day we worship because that's the day that our Lord rose from the dead. Yeah. So your first volume talks about Christians. So what, is, what, are we, uh, what do we see coming in the second volume? Yeah, so good question. So the first, so basically what I did was I came up with seven, man, so the question just for the live stream audience is what uh, topics are going to be covered in the second uh, volume. And so what I did, as I mentioned at the out opening session uh, Friday, is I took all the characteristics I could think of and see in Scripture in, uh, of the Antichrist from all the descriptions of the Antichrist in his future reign, boiled them down into seven categories, and then I said, do we see these categories prevalent today? So. Uh, the first volume ended up really discussing just all of the examples of pretense or deception. But in the second volume, we're going to get into things like phenomena, where I talk about uh, UFOs and UAPs and other strange disappearances and other phenomenalistic activity that is a sign of something uh, that you can't physically, tangibly touch. And we definitely see an uptick of that. Uh, today and, and it's demonic and it's uh, interdimensional and those types of things and I give lots of examples of that and kind of run that through the grid of Scripture. Pride, power, you know, and how we're seeing all kinds of uh, evidences today of just raw power being, you know, imposed on people. Persecution of Christians in particular. Perversion, that's a big one. That'll be a very powerful uh, chapter. Uh, where we talk about the gender surrender movement, we talk about the transgender issues, we talk about all kinds of uh, just really sick uh, examples of Satan, and that's you know that's an example of the Antichrist. The Antichrist will will not have the desire for women, you know, uh, and uh, that's the reason we knew Bill Clinton couldn't be the Antichrist. But uh, anyway, um, uh, well. <laughs> A lot of people, a lot of people said, well, "I think Bill Clinton's the Antichrist." No, no, he doesn't fit the biblical definition. But anyway, um, so we're going to see, you know, an increase in, in homosexuality and those types of things, and then pluralism. So these are all uh, the big picture headings. But as far as specific topics, I mentioned these um, in the. Let me see if I can find it real quick. In the book. 
well, I can't put my finger on it, but it's in one of the final chapters I talk about here what's coming in the second book, uh, and more specifically the subcategories of each of these things. So, Somebody else? So if the left and right are taking their marching orders from the same people, what's the uh, reason for voter fraud, essentially, is what you're asking. Yeah. Right. So the, let's clarify. We're not necessarily saying that they're taking their marching orders. Again, it's not monolithic. But at the top level, we know they created the two-party system in the United States so that they could advance their agenda subtly in some ways and sometimes overtly while giving people the mistaken impression that they have a voice and they have a choice. Uh, and they really don't. It's Calvinistic voting. So the people involved are not even aware of it half the time. I mean, you go to your local Republican uh, caucus or you go to Republican conventions and stuff, and those are really good conservative people that really believe in the platform and they really think as I said yesterday, that Reagan's going to destroy the Department of Ed and all that kind of stuff. They think that these things on paper are valued and actually going to happen, but of course it never does. Some things happen. They do, they do throw you some crumbs every now and then, and you see some, you know, typically when the Republicans are, are in office, you know, uh, taxes go down and spending goes up and the military is expanded, and, and when the Democrats are in office, it's a little different. So certainly it's not like we're saying that they're identical. But the, the philosophy and the big picture behind it is it's all going one direction. And by now, that should be self-evident. I mean, I don't know why anybody would still put their hope in a party today when we've had, as I mentioned, multiple times in my lifetime when the Republicans have controlled the White House, Congress, Senate, and the majority of the Supreme Court justices were Republican appointees, and yet we don't overturn Roe v. Wade, we don't stop gay marriage, we didn't stop Obamacare, we don't... It's all, it just keep on going in a one-way street. So it's not that they are taking their marching orders per se. Um, again, especially at the Congress level with 435 election, you know, people elected every two years, they're not all controlled at the beginning. But by the time the end of their two years is up, they're either controlled or they leave, uh, one or the other. Uh, and so they don't wake up every day and answer some hotline from Lucifer's desk that says, okay, here's what I want you to say today. But it is actually more controlled than you might think. So they get calls, you know, even conservatives like Rand Paul or Ted Cruz or Ron Johnson, you know, they'll get calls saying, hey, you need to back off on this or you need to come at it from this angle or this is, this is what we're agreeing to. So it's, it's a... It's definitely not monolithic, meaning absolute or controlled every detail, but it's, uh, it's, it's also, uh, you know, part of an uh, overarching agenda. Does that help? Yeah. Did they not want Trump to get in? No, they absolutely wanted Trump to get in. Yeah, that was, he was absolutely the man of the hour. They planned that for 22 years. For 22 years, they were planning to roll out the pandemic. We've got the smoking gun evidence. It's chapter 9 in the book. Uh, you know, Dr. David Martin and others have researched this extensively. We have the patents. We have, I mean, again, there's like in the video series, I have 16 smoking guns. I don't know how many of them I put in the book, at least 10 or 12. Uh, so there's no question the pandemic was planned, and they needed Trump 
again, I said this yesterday, they needed Trump to get conservative Christians uh, to take the jab, to shut down their churches, to stop worshiping God on Easter Sunday. If President Hillary Rodham Clinton had stood up and demanded that all churches stop worshiping God on Easter Sunday for the first time since the year 400, there would have been civil war. It would have been a ab, you know, abject chaos. People would have said, no way. But when Trump did it, everybody just bowed down and worshiped. And everybody, all the evangelicals that are controlled, the leaders, were all saying, Romans 13, and Christians need to do this. If you love Jesus, you'll take the jab and all you know, that stuff. So uh, it's, Trump's, it's Trump's shot, let's not forget. You know, he established uh, Operation Warp Speed. He put Alex Azar in charge of Health and Human Services, the top executive for North American Pfizer. <laughs> who was the one who did, you know, Prozac and all the other psychotropic drugs that the CIA used in MKUltra. That's who Trump put as his Secretary of Health and Human Services. And then he put um, the guy from the board of Moderna in charge of warp speed. <laughs> Talk about a conflict of interest. So yeah, this was planned for a long time. I'm not suggesting Trump's part of the uh, agenda. I think he was a pawn in the game, but they played him and, and he accomplished a lot from their purposes. And then once they had rolled that all out, and we've got this, all these new precedents of medical tyranny and franchised tyranny and, and putting um, governors in the place of kings. So, you know, that's, you mentioned DeSantis or somebody did, you know, what makes me nervous about guys like DeSantis, even though we resonate with what they're saying, uh, is let's not forget they're using the same mandates for what we, like they're issuing mandates, we're not gonna have masks, we're not, you know, it's wrong, you know, no private company can mandate masks or something like that. And we were thinking at first, yeah, that's great, well then we stop and think, wait a minute, we've just set a precedent that the governor can unilaterally make law. Do we really want that? Might sound good now, but what if the next governor is putting in laws that we don't like? So you gotta think beyond the now. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I think uh, they definitely, accomplished a huge uh, amount of things with his with this last four years and then when they were done with him they got rid of him and you know there's no question there was a groundswell of populist support and this was a massive movement there's no question that uh, he won uh, the election uh, by a millions upon millions of votes more he won by a larger margin than what Hillary won by in 2016 and she won by over three million votes um, so no question that the, both the elections were rigged, uh, but they could not have him in there anymore. So they, had, so they had the worst case, most obvious case of voter fraud in history, even though I, you know, many people have been talking about this for years and years and years. This wasn't new to, to a lot of researchers. This was just a big example of it. So yeah, I, uh, I think those that, that put their hope in Trump and really thought he was legit need to do some research and look, look a little, dig a little deeper than what you hear in the mainstream news. Uh, there's plenty of evidence out there of what his, where his real allegiance uh, lies. So, yes. Um, I'm right up the bankers being called a white supremacist. <laughs> <laughs> Who would call you a white supremacist? I can't imagine. I want their names. Absolutely, it's their way. Is that their way of turning one against the other is the question. Absolutely. Remember, one of the things I talked about yesterday in the Hegelian dialectic section was the, there's multiple names for that technique, one of which is divide and conquer. So they absolutely are doing everything they can to foment unrest and, 
divide, and they've been doing this for years. The whole 60s movement was completely fabricated by COINTELPRO, the FBI, you know, technique where they infiltrate these movements and drum them up and, and cause uh, problems. So whether it was the ERA or, you know, the Black Power Movement or racial movements now, CRT, all those things are all their attempt to create division because, you know, a house divided cannot stand. That's a principle. And so they want to destroy America. Remember, we said America is the one country standing in the way of the New World Order. And so they've got to destroy us before they can enter the end game. And the one way to do that is to, to make us so divided that we won't be able to stand up against tyranny when it rolls down the street, you know. So, yeah. Is this in California you're talking about? Well, I'm not sure. I got a message on my phone last night. I'm not sure the individual claimed to be from Illinois. I mean, I didn't do anything. Yeah, so I'm not familiar. There are a lot of, you know, legislation, pieces of legislation out there related to uh, the sanctity of life, and it, it's hard to keep up with them all. But what I can tell you is that you know, ultimately, they're not going to allow abortion to be stopped. We will see pockets of it. We will see places where they don't have absolute control. So those governors or state legislatures will enact uh, certain good legislation that, you know, hopefully will, you know, for a time anyway, put it into it. But at the macro level, we're not going to see that. that this, that's been too big of a uh, key goal of theirs, death. We talked about the eugenics and depopulation yesterday. I gave you example after example. So uh, all who hate me love death, the Bible says, and they hate God and they love death. So they, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So until Christ comes back and rules with perfect justice, uh, we probably are not going to see, um, you know, that type of, uh, you know, change. Not that revival can't break out. Again, you know, the caveat is we don't have the mind of God. He's sovereign, and he may, his timetable may be completely different from what these Luciferians are striving for. And so he could see, we could see revival break out, but I, my gut tells me it's, it's just not, not going to happen because um, it could have happened. It could have happened many, many times. All it would take is a, you know, when we've had filibuster-proof Congresses, we could have easily put a stop to abortion at the legislative level. We could have passed a law that said this is murder, life begins at conception, and it's all wrong. We could have done that, and we never have. Why not? Well, and what's going to change? Are, are we better now than we were in the you know, 80s and 90s? Have we gotten less depraved? No, we're getting worse. So that's why I think I just don't see see that happening short of a miracle of, of God. So, somebody else. Yes? Yeah, so uh, it's always scary when people 
quote, quote you from your book because because I, <laughs> I have to remember what did I say and why did I say it but uh, so I you know talked a lot about um, you know pre-modern modern and postmodern era so in the grand scheme of human history we can broadly speaking identify three primary categories now things are changing so rapidly now that there have been others you know you've got the post-Christian era, the post-truth era, you know, all these types of things. But broadly speaking, it's the pre-modern era, which is basically, you know, everything up to the, the, the um, Industrial Revolution. So from creation to the, when, you know, when things in the, you know, in Industrial Age and Enlightenment and all that got, we got technology and started inventing things and doing more and so forth. Then you had the modern era, which was relatively short-lived. Uh, basically 200 years, and most people say the modern era ended uh, with the storming of the Bastille and the French Revolution, uh, and so then, and then we were in the, uh, uh, or that's when the, that's when the modern era started, and the, then we, it was relatively too short, 200 years, so from roughly 1789, the storming of the Bastille, to 1989 was the modern era. And so why they picked 1989, again, it's not like there's some writing in the sky that says, thus saith the Lord, this is it. But clearly, uh, that's when we started to see the attacks on language. We started to see no meaning of words. We started to see the rapid expansion of information with the internet uh, uh, in, you know, in the late 80s and early 90s. And uh, so you can remember examples like when Clinton would say, you know, depends on the meaning of is and those types of things. So the whole framework changed and words had no meaning and it, was, it wasn't so much a battle between truth and reason, it was there is no truth, right? Uh, it's not that science has the answer and if you can see it, smell it, touch it, hear it, taste it, it it's real. It was there is no arbiter of truth. So you've got this massive information superhighway, but no, no one to police it. Uh, now they're trying to police it now with their own agenda, with all these fact checkers, you know. Uh, but that's, that's not real. That's just the creation of truth. So yeah, I think uh, right around that time frame is when we saw this major philosophical shift from, you know, science versus reason into, you know, everybody has their own little t truth and you know, uh, bias, and uh, ever, can't we all just get along, and there's no, there's no one true north. So that's a quick summary of the age in which we're living. Yes, here, and then we'll come back. What's that? Oh, yeah, sure, thank you. So, well, last question here. Wow, you guys are really trying to get me in trouble. I've skirted that issue quickly. I'm sorry we're out of time. Um, what, the question is, what role does the Roman Catholic Church play? So, uh, you know, we have to separate theology from, you know, the, the world agenda and the grand conspiracy. Uh, the grand conspiracy is clearly taught in Scripture. We talked about that yesterday from Psalm 2. But, yeah, the, uh, the Vatican is not, I'll just say this, the Vatican is not what people think it is. And if you do the research, if you look at some of the history and, and even things that are going on there now, uh, you'll find out that it's, it's a prime example of it's not about what it's about. But the short answer is it plays a key role in the big picture. So remember, the, 
rebuilt Roman Empire is going to come back. Satan's going to, or Antichrist is going to rule from there at the behest of Satan. Uh, we're going to have a literal rebuilt Babylon, but it's going to have a political, religious, and economic aspect. And I believe the religious aspect of the Babylonian Empire is going to resonate from Rome. So, okay, well, listen, we're out of time. But I'd love to stick around uh, either after the service and answer your questions. You can always email me. My cards are on the table out there. Uh, and really grateful for some great questions. And we'll look forward to getting to some solutions in the worship hour. So thank you, guys. We'll take a break.